I'm going to read 21 verses. Hang in there with me. We've got a lot to do today. Uh, it's going to be great. So hang in there. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we come into your presence to say thank you. Thank you uh, for your, your great plan uh, that is, we see unfolding here in Luke 2. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, doing all this for us, for coming and living and dying, that we might uh, partake of you, that we might have you living with us and giving us good gifts and Lord, uh, we've been talking about some of those gifts that have come from you in these past weeks. Lord, help us to hear that, realize it, and uh, make the most of what you've given us. Lord, we pray that this day you would speak to every heart, every mind, every soul here. That Lord Jesus, you would give us the grace that we need to hear clearly what you would say to us. And then the, the courage, the power, the strength to obey it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And uh, we rejoice in you today. We ask that you give us freedom, that you would protect us from our enemy, that you would camp your mightiest angels about us, and that uh, we would be set free to hear clearly your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. And thank you. Y'all can sit down. Uh, I am glad you're here. Uh, this is, uh, I guess, what we would typically consider uh, a Christ the Christmas service. We're going to do it again, uh, another service on Tuesday uh, evening at five, as you heard. So I pray you'll uh, come back for that. But um, Luke 2 does tell the story. And I'm, I'm, I'm centering in on verse 10 because uh, if you haven't been here past several weeks, we've been talking about four words that typically are used in this time, which we call the Advent season. Uh, uh, and those words are love, uh, hope, love, 
peace, and joy. And this is the fourth one. We've come to the word joy. And this is what I want you to take home with you. Verse 10, which we've already read, and which you can see there if you still have your Bible open. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, it was great joy because uh, people... The Israel people, the, the Jewish people, they had suffered for a, a long time. And uh, we knew that that, that was uh, true. And they were looking for a Messiah that would deliver them, but they thought it was political and earthly. God had a different plan. God had a plan to deliver us spiritually and eternally instead of just earthly. And I, I do want you to notice, I kind of skimmed over that all my life. And just this morning, somebody pointed something out to me. The joy, the, the good news is for all the people, but the joy is for those that receive it. In verse 14, the angel says that, uh, get my hand out of my pocket, I can turn the page. Well, come on. Now the page is stuck. There we go. Verse uh, 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Now God is only pleased with us when the blood of Jesus shed on the cross cleanses us from our sin. We are born in sin. Man has a sinful nature. We are we inherit that from our father, who inherited it from his father, inherited it from his father, all the way back to Adam. Adam was the first great sinner. He sinned and passed sin upon his children. Jesus did not have an earthly father. He had a heavenly father. Mary was a virgin, found herself with child. God put a baby in there, and she was a virgin until after the baby was born. And so Jesus did not inherit a human nature like us, a sinful nature. But because we are born in sin, we call that depravity. We are born with a depraved nature. We seek after that which God does not want us to seek after, that which kills us, destroys us. We go after stuff that will eventually kill us in hell and in many cases hurt us here on the earth as well. And so Jesus came not just to deliver us temporarily on this earth, but to shed his blood as a perfect man, he died in my place, in your place, in the place of all those who would receive him so that we could know God. And so if, if you think that automatic or if you're a good person, you're automatically saved, nothing be further from the truth because the Bible says there's none righteous, not even one. There's none that seek after God. We are all born in sin. We all need a savior. We all are sinful people. And so Jesus came, and he was not sinful. He lived a perfect life as fully man. He lived a perfect life and then died in our place on a cross. And the angel says, hey, that's good news, and everybody needs to hear that good news. But the people who receive that, they get peace. Those who know Christ, those who, who are pleased because I can't please God in my flesh. Only Jesus can please the Father. Only he can offer a perfect sacrifice. I can give money. I can't give enough money. I can give God effort, but I can't give him enough effort to ever meet up to his standard. And so what good is in me, and as we give, it is God, it is Jesus living through us by the person of the Holy Spirit. And he takes what we give in that sense, in that spiritual sense, and he multiplies, he does something good with it. And so the only way that you can have joy is if it's a gift from Christ. And you only get it when you... Give up trying to run your own life, totally surrender to God, and let him run your life for you. Because he's smarter than you, he knows more than you, he knows the future, you don't. He knows what's best for you, and he will give you all those things as a promise if you'll follow him. Now, it may not look like it, 
But I promise you it is. It always is. The Bible says so. And here's some not as good a news, but here is some good news. At the end of the service today, I want to help lead you in a prayer and you can come and surrender yourselves to God. So be thinking about that if you don't know Christ, if you think you'd like to have Christ. So that was kind of an introduction. It's kind of the whole sermon too. But let me break some stuff down for you. Here's why we needed that. I, I was mentioned we we're born with a depraved nature. Back there in Genesis 3, uh, where Adam sinned, and then God shows up in the garden, and Adam's trying to hide. First time Adam had to hide because it's the first time he was aware that he had sin. It was the first time he was aware that, that things had changed, that there's something out there that isn't right. And he knew that he couldn't be in the presence of God, so he hides from God. And God says, Adam, where are you? Now, of course, God knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to know where Adam was. See, we kind of fool ourselves. Sorry, let me pick that up. We, we like to think we're a good person, and the Bible says none of us are good. We like to think that we love God when the Bible says none of us love God. That God has to put all that in us to love Him, to want Him, to desire Him. And so we lost paradise. Adam, thank you so much, lost paradise for us. If he hadn't sinned, we wouldn't have lost it, but we lost it. And so Jesus comes to restore to us that relationship with God. It, it, I became aware of a word in Genesis 3.19 this week. Not that I hadn't seen it before, but all of a sudden I went, whoa, that's pretty strong. In Genesis 3, here's what God says to Adam. You're dirt, and you're going to return to dirt. You can dress it up, put a crown on it, call him the emperor of the world. He's dirt. And he's going to return to dirt. I mean, think about that. The guy that thinks he's better than you or the person that thinks they're lower than you or just like you, you're all dirt. <laughs> now, I said you to make it impactful. I'm one of you. I'm dirt too. I am a frail, temporary body with an eternal promise living inside of me. Now, you got to think about it. It's what, that's what Paul describes it in Corinthians, not in those same words. He says, we're all just clay pots. And in these clay pots, dirt vessels, God has put his eternal weight of glory. The Holy Spirit lives in these pots. You say, well, I know some crack pots. Yeah, well, that's the only way the light gets out. This, the imperfection of me shows how great God is. If I was as good as God, it would dull or diminish who God is, but the fact that he saves not a good guy, but a bad guy shows his glory. Some of you went, oh, the more I sin, the more glorify God. He goes, no, 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 no. God's changing you to look like Jesus, so you don't keep doing that. He, he saves you, and that shows his glory because on ourselves, we would never change like that. You see, life is hard and it's filled with pain and suffering. But God came to deliver us so that, as you heard in that film clip, you can tell that wasn't produced by Baptists because they dared to quote the Bible where it says God gave wine to make people joyful. <laughs> now, I know a lot of y'all, you're not Baptists when it comes to that, but that's okay. I am. I'm a teetotaler. I don't drink, but that's okay. Uh, but, but that film, the, the point was, our joy is not in the present. Our joy is in the hope of tomorrow. Remember the four words I said? Hope, love, peace, joy. 
You see, all this comes together. All of this is together. In fact, as I've studied for this, I've never studied these four words like this before. And as I studied it, I started to realize I'm reading a Bible verse on one of those words. And in that same verse, one or those other words or two of those other words will appear in the same context, in the same verse. That hope and joy and peace and love, they keep showing up together. That's how they became. People finally understood, oh, this is what God was all about. And in Genesis 3.19, we needed a Savior. We had messed up. We got, there is no coming back from that. And so God himself says to Satan, I'm going to put an enmity between your seed and her seed. Now, women don't carry seed. Men carry seed. Women carry the fertile ground in which seed is planted. Just to use it metaphorically in case your children don't know what I'm talking about. The only woman in need was Mary. Without the benefit of a man. Right? So this was a promise. The minute man sinned, God came up and gave us a promise. And that promise is fulfilled in Christ. Some people have trouble with the virgin birth. They, we, we're studying that part, a little bit of that this morning in Sunday school. I remember as a teenager, somebody saying, now you tell me, if a, if a young woman showed up at the emergency room about to give birth, and when they asked who the father was, she said, well, I don't know because I've never, you know, been with a man, would you believe her? And the guy responded, well, if it had been predicted for over 500 years and fulfilled 333 prophecies in the Bible, yeah. God predicted it hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands, uh, 10,000 years before it actually happened. When he told Satan in the garden, she's going to have a seed. <laughs> Women, a woman will bring the Savior into the world without the benefit of a man. And there's a couple of things that a guy named Eric Geiger, he wrote three things we ought to remember out of Genesis 3. I, I saw this in a blog by Dr. Chuck Lawless. Uh, this past week. And he said, the three things I remember is, first of all, we're reminded God keeps his promises. In Genesis 3, he said, I'm going to send a savior and he's going to crush his head. And we saw that happen. So thank God, God always keeps his promises. Secondly, we are assured that God is both great and good. God is great. He's powerful. He's strong. He's mighty. And the soul that sinned that should die, he says, hey, you got to be punished, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to supply a substitute. And God is good to us. And he became the substitute for us. And thirdly, we see that the Bible is not a disjointed collection of 66 books. It is 66 books written over 1,200 years with 40 plus authors. And yet nowhere in this Bible does one thing contradict the other. Now, if you believe something in here is contradictory, come show me and tell me. Because in the thousands of years that it's been completed, nobody has yet. And if you think you're smarter than the guys who actually tried to do that, bless your heart. <laughs> this is a perfect word from a perfect God given to us. I might not understand it perfectly. I may not communicate it perfectly, but the word of God is perfect. Are you with me there? And God is good to us and he's given us salvation in Christ. And this Bible, this book, is but one story and Christ story. And you got to understand that. It all hangs back on Christ. Jesus said, search the scriptures. In them you find eternal life. And these are the things that testify of me. So we needed joy because we didn't have any. We were hopelessly lost. We were without any hope in the world. But joy is possible. And it's only possible in Christ. 
We have hope, love, and peace. We've talked about those things. Let me give you quick definitions. Hope, confident expectation. God promised it so we know he's going to deliver. That's what hope means. Love is an unconditional love from God. I'm giving you the short definition. Unconditional means there's nothing you can do to make him want to do it. And there's no requirements on his love other than he loves you. You can't do anything to earn it, but he gives it to you freely, unconditionally. I like a longer definition that says, Love is self-denial in order that I might give myself to the one loved for their sake, seeking nothing in return. That's what agape love means. That's John 3.16 in different words, really. And so we see hope, we see love. Then we see peace, which is the cessation of hostility. But the hostility between us and God. We're in rebellion against God. And when we surrender, when we give up our fight against God, He brings to our life peace. And we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God in here. And no matter what hurricane we're standing in, we're in the eye of the storm at perfect peace. Now, if you ever... Never been in the middle of a hurricane where the eye passed over you. You don't know what I'm talking about. But if you are, it's, it's wild. Your house is being blown down. Trees are being uprooted. Things are flying through the air at amazing rates of speed. Floods are happening. And then all of a sudden, it's like a spring day. And that's when, when the eye passes over you. Birds start singing. Everything goes bright, clear. No wind, no anything. And then hold on, because it's going to get bad again. And then you get the second half of that hurricane. And Christians in this world live in the eye of the hurricane. Everything's swirling around us, but we're at perfect peace in the middle of the turmoil. And that's what peace means. And then today we come to joy. And joy is only possible because of Christ. We have well-being because of all these gifts Christ has given us. I mean, listen, if you know you're hopelessly lost, if you know you need a savior and the only life preserver thrown to you while you're drowning in a sea of sin is a life preserver that says Jesus paid it all. And you say, I'm going to cling to that. I'm going to let Jesus pay for my sin because I'll never be good enough to. And I'm going to take his love for me. And when I do, I find I have peace. Well, guess what? That ought to make you happy. <laughs> that ought to give you a little bit of joy. Joy and happiness are really different things. Happiness is part of joy, but happiness depends on my circumstances. But joy only comes when we know Christ. And so joy is possible. And Christ bought our hope. Christ bought the love of God to us. Christ paid for the peace that we have. And he pays for our joy We've gone to found. We've gone from hopeless to hope, from unloved to the beloved. We've gone from war to peace. And now we've gone from sorrow to joy. And I can put up with anything because I know where I'm going. I, in fact, I'll make a bold statement about this and I'm going to repeat it later. You have never known hope. You've never known love. You've never known peace and you've never known joy. Truly. If you don't know Christ. Amen. Now you may think you have. Just like my kids when they were teenagers. Thought they knew what love was. And it was a real love. But it was a lot less than what they understood. Until their capacity for love got bigger. I, I saw a guy illustrate that. Pulled out an orange juice glass and a big old tumbler. And he said, I can fill this glass with water, and it is water in the glass. But that's all it'll hold. It'll hold, let's say, eight ounces. But I got this 20-ounce tumbler. 
Well, I can put that eight ounces in there and another eight ounces and more. And that's what love is like. And this is like, this is what knowing God is like. You get a hint, you get an idea, you get a something of it, but you can't know true hope. You can't know true love, true peace and true joy till you know Jesus Christ. And that is the only way. I mean, there is no other way. Jesus said that himself. And so I, I just would like you to understand that when Jesus comes, he heralds the gospel of the great joy. And everybody gets to hear it. But only those who receive him get to experience it. I have 15 things listed about joy. And if I did all of those, we would be leaving just in time to come back for the evening service on Tuesday. But, because I could preach like two hours on each one of these. The verses are listed in the piece of paper inserted in your bulletin. I will encourage you to go home and read those, read them in their context and all of that. But I'd like to point out about five of them just because I think they, today would be a good day. I love the one that's Psalm fifty-one, twelve. I don't know if yours has numbers on it. In my piece of paper, it's number four. Because it's where David had sinned and he was confronted by a prophet and he knew he'd messed up. And in there he says, restore to me the, restore to me the, of my salvation. David talks in the Old Testament only like Christians talk in the New Testament. David must have had a special understanding about who God is and what he'd done for us or is going to do for us. And in that verse he asked, dear God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Salvation brings joy because my sins are forgiven. I don't have to fight it. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything to earn it. That was a gift. And so I can just live in that with joy. And David, knowing he had messed up, asked God after repentance, now that I've repented, would you bring back joy? And he has to ask because we as humans cannot forget what we did. Neither can we ever get over it. Some of y'all here sitting here today. You think it's too late for you. You think it's, it's gone. Maybe. I mean, a crowd this size, I got a feeling there's at least one person here who's had that feeling or is having it right now. I remember as a 17-year-old as a kid talking to a 15-year-old girl and she said, it's too late for me. I said, you're 15. There's nothing you could, but besides that, it doesn't matter how old you are, there's nothing you could do to get outside of the realm or the reach of God's love. But she said it was already too late for her. Friend, let me just tell you, it is not too late. And you say, well, I'm saved, but man, I really messed up. Well, guess what? You can still come back to the cross and, and, and confess your sin. The forgiveness is already there. Just repent and return to God and ask for him to restore the joy after you've repented. I think that's so important for us because we are broken people. And, and we realize, that I, I hate thinking about my mistakes, my errors. It's something in me. My, my father just couldn't stand to be wrong or mess up, and I can't either. And guess what? All I ever am is wrong and messed up. And to dwell on that would just cripple me. So I have to dwell on the, re the, the fact that, hey, God forgives me. Not, don't use it as an excuse, but say, wow, I'm just so thankful that God forgives me in my mess up and makes himself look good by fixing what I mess up and giving himself glory out of that. I think another great one here is in Luke 144 because the, the person in Elizabeth's womb is John the Baptist. He is the first prophet in 400 years. God has not spoken to his people in 400 years. And God gives another miracle pregnancy to Elizabeth and her husband. And, they, and, and the angel told him, say, you're going to name that boy John. 
We find out later he has come in the spirit of Elijah. He is the prophet pronouncing that the Messiah is on the way. And Mary, newly conceived, runs to her cousin's house to talk to her because she knows she's got a miracle pregnancy and she wants to go talk to her about these spiritual things. And Mary walks in, and let me make this point clear again, within days, maybe a week of pregnancy, John, his cousin, in his mother's womb. He's six months old in the mother's womb. And when Mary walks in, John the Baptist has a holy fit inside his mom's womb. The first person to celebrate Messiah's coming was an unformed tissue mass. It was a person, a prophet in the womb of a mother. And at conception, Jesus is the son of God being born of a virgin. Don't miss that. And don't you dare tell me that at the moment of conception, it's not life. I think that's important to me, it is. That the prophet leaps for joy in his mama's womb at six months old. Now that had to hurt. <laughs> and I believe Elizabeth knew the difference between a kick and a leap. <laughs> and I've never been a woman, never going to be a woman. I will never identify as a woman. If you see that I identified as a woman, know somebody's lying, or I've really flipped my lid and come slap me straight, okay? <laughs> and so when it says leap, she could go, no, 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 he just got excited and got, he was kicking. No. She went, something's different here, old man, something's going on. And the Holy Spirit hit her and she started prophesying from the Holy Spirit. Another important one here is in John 15 where it talks about that we're... He's the vine, we're the branches. It says when we abide in him, when we live in him, when we let his life flow into us and we flow back our life for him, that we're receiving our spiritual nutrition from him and we're bearing fruit for him, we have joy. And that's in John 15, verse 11. Abiding in Christ brings us joy. And then one that we really don't like in James 1, trials. We ought to rejoice in our trials. <laughs> He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you experience trials. Knowing that your trials lead you to patience and hope and peace and love and victory in Christ. Our trials are a joy. And the one in 1 Peter 1.8, where he says that we have joy without seeing the fulfillment. We have joy. Listen, none of us have ever with our eyes seen the Lord Jesus Christ, yet we believe. And Jesus told Thomas, you believe because you saw me? Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And Peter repeats this, 1 Peter 1, 8, that we have joy without seeing God with our physical eyes. You know, people think we're crazy. I, maybe you're one of those people. You don't believe in God. I saw uh, somebody show me this commercial Ron Reagan put out there for the atheists in America, keeping supposedly, you know, separates your state, that kind of crazy lie. And, and at the end, he said, Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, not afraid to burn in hell. That's what he said. Well... <laughs> I call that mighty bold talk for one-eyed fat man to quote John Wayne in True Grit. You see, we haven't seen God, and that sounds crazy to people who want to see God. But you, when you see God and you believe that way, it's too late. Because I tell you, right now, even Darwin's convinced. And Pontius and Judas and all those folks who have denied Christ. 
One minute, one second after you cease to breathe and your spirit leaves your body, you're going to know who God is and that he was the true and living God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait that long to figure it out when he's given us everything we need to know for faith and life. It's right there. And so we have joy without ever having to see God. It's pretty amazing. My wife pointed out in Sunday school today, I never thought about this. We're talking about Joseph a little bit. And she said, I think of Joseph as one of those Hebrew 11 blessed people. He never, Mary was at the cross. Joseph was dead. He disappeared in the Bible story before Jesus ever even started his ministry. And Joseph willingly took on a lot of grieving to be called the earthly father of Jesus without ever seeing the fulfillment of what he believed Jesus was. And Hebrews says those people got a special place. That the earth is not worthy of those kind of people who believe without having to see it. They say, I trust what you said. If I don't ever see it, it's good. I still don't believe it. And so 1 Peter 1.8 says the people that are, live that way have joy. People think they're stupid. Man, you're crazy. Why are you? you know that old little sign that said, if you, can, if you can maintain a good attitude in the present circumstances, you don't understand the circumstances. Well, I get the circumstances. It's a, it's a hurricane, but I'm in the middle of it. I'm in the eye of the storm. And it swirls around me, but it doesn't touch me. Right? That's true of every believer. I'm not special. I'm saying that's for you. That's for us. And things may hit us. Things may go bad. Might tear down a tree or two and lose a tile or two off the roof. But friend, God's in control. And because of that, we can have joy. You see, hope, love, peace, and joy come only from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God, and he died for us. So the real question becomes, so how are you giving away Christ? How are you giving away what God has put in you? In, in Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How are you letting other people know about him so that they can believe in him and receive him into their life. I, I want to be very clear because this is a, a, a tight line. You can think wrong about this. You can say, oh yeah, I need to spread hope, love, peace, and joy. I need to give that away. You can't. It comes only from Christ. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. And so if you want hope and love and peace and joy, You've got to come to Christ. And so what do I do? How can I do something about that? Well, I use the military a lot as examples. I believe that Christianity is, is, is a military exercise. And we are living in enemy territory, taking the message of our king and creator to a world that doesn't want to hear it. And only he can cause them to respond. And so we're living on a battlefield, folks, until we get to heaven. That's when we get home is in heaven. We're not home yet. We're, this is not our home. We are living in enemy territory. We've jumped in behind enemy lines. And so I heard the lone survivor who will be at Ignite this February, by the way, or March. In Lynchburg, I would encourage you to go hear him in Lynchburg this year. But he said, people walk up to me all the time and say, thank you for your service. And he said, I know what they mean and I appreciate it. He said, but if you really want to thank me for my service, go live your life. Go love your family. Go do your job. Go do whatever hobby you like. Because I paid a price for you to have that freedom. And if you want to thank me for doing that, go live it. 
And I thought, wow, isn't that what Jesus says? I took care of your sin. I went to war with the enemy. And I died on the cross to forgive you that sin. And I paid for that. You say, thank you, Jesus. Don't thank me. Live it out. Live a life like a believer. Live out Jesus. Live out the hope you have. Live out the joy you have. Live out the love you have. Live out the peace you have. And when somebody goes, what is wrong with you, man? Everything's falling apart and you just got that silly grin on your face. Say, well, I know something you don't know. That the president's not in control. And the president of any other nation's not in control. And nobody calls himself a king is in control. And no ruler's in control. No court's in control. And no lawmaker's in control. God's in control and he's my daddy. Right? That's why Jesus came. To go to the cross and die for us. That's an awesome thing. So I would just tell you, I always give you some things to do, and they should be pretty obvious. These are very simple. This is just a repeat. If you don't know Jesus today, receive the best gift right now from him. Salvation, because in comes everything else. Just right now, in a minute, I'm going to pray with you. And, and, and we're, we're talking about Jesus' birth, but today we're going to take communion, which speaks of his death. Because he died in our place, and we're going to, we're going to partake bread and juice as symbols of his body and his blood. Realizing he died in our place. And you can't do that if you don't have Jesus in your life. And, and so, in a moment, when I pray, or you can do it now, you don't have to wait on me, but I'm going to lead us in prayer. And, and I just beg you, with all that's in me, Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Secondly, if you already have, find somebody you can minister to. I mean, we've got, as, as Southern Baptists, we give to Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which helps fund missionaries around the world. And if you haven't given to that, give to it. Give to it quickly so we can uh, put that in. But there are homeless people out there. There are people who are struggling. It might be your friend or neighbor. They're not homeless on the outside. Everything looks good. But, you know, there's a problem at home. There's a problem in their some area of their life and you can minister to them then you need to do that you need to do something to help fulfill what God's given us to do just help somebody else to know God